Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. good theology there. Let me break it down for you. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it, let it, let it, hide it under a, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan, yeah, see some people get it. We don't say blow it out. We we act that out. It turns out that's not bad theology. And we're just kind of dancing around these three questions during this series. Why are we here? What is the core of the gospel? And why does it matter what you and I believe? Why does it matter what you and I think about that? Because it has some significance. It turns out that you and I are living in an unprecedented time of darkness. Now, I don't just mean that at some philosophical level. I mean, actually, studies are telling us that the level of mental illness, the level of depression and anxiety is the real pandemic that we're in right now. And when you stop and you try to figure out and do the analytics, here's the thing. I don't know if you've observed this, but in our culture, we don't agree on much. Like if you're trying to get a consensus on any topic, good luck. Because you can support whatever argument you believe in, depending on where you look for information about that topic. Amen? We do know that, right? <laughs> so, so if you're trying to do research on anything you're going to get sort of varying and, op and opposing positions and perspectives in a pretty profound way. So as I was doing research for this sermon, I was a little bit surprised about this. It turns out that there is something upon which everyone seems to agree. It doesn't matter if it's a progressive outlet for news and media. It doesn't matter if it's a conservative outlet for news and media. It turns out that there is a, a topic that you can bring up that it seems like everybody agrees on. And that is... <laughs> that this is an unprecedented time of darkness. And so if you stop and you start to get inside the analytics of that, you can say, well, is this the darkest time in human history? Probably not. I mean, probably, you know, if you just took the last century and a little bit, you could probably say, well, you know what? There were two world wars. I mean, those of us that lived through the 20th century, at least the latter part of the 20th century, we can recall dictators and and, and uh, you know, uh, regimes that were uh, oppressive in ways that we don't even really hear about as much anymore. So I'm not sure this is the darkest time in human history. You know, there was the Black Plague, and there were some other things that happened historically. I don't, but we could say this, given the age of the social sciences, which depending on who you are, we don't even agree what that is, but typically the... The defined science began in the late 19th century and carried through the 20th century into the 21st. We could say this, that this time in which we live is the most studied time of difficulty and mental illness that we've ever experienced in our history. And what is it that the studies are telling us? Well, a couple of things that are going on. 
and uh, when you start to break them down. There was a study in 2015 done by the British Psychological Society. This is what the study found. Being exposed to violent news events via social media can cause us to experience symptoms similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. Social media has enabled violent stories and graphic images to be watched by the public in unedited, horrific detail, watching these events and feeling the anguish of those directly experiencing them may impact our daily lives. In an article on Upworthy.com entitled, and this is a great title, Feeling Hopeless? A Therapist Explains Why You Might Be Grieving the State of Our World. Who doesn't want to read that article? <laughs> Annie Wright writes these words. There is a phenomenon called vicarious trauma. It is something that helpers like psychotherapists and social workers and doctors and aid workers, among others, often deal with as an occupational hazard from being exposed to the repeated violent traumatic stories of those they serve. But because of everyone's constant exposure to terrible, terrible events on the news these days, all of us are at a heightened risk for experiencing vicarious trauma no matter where we are. I don't know if you, you know, I mean, that's easy for that to slip by quickly. <laughs> that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because you and I are probably feeling the weight of some of this. We just had never put the science with it. It turns out that because of our constant exposure to bad news, and by the way, that's just about all there is. I don't know what happened or when it happened, but the, the idea that the news is a collection of information of just about what's happening in the world, that went away sometime. The news is now about what's wrong with the world and what's falling apart and who's destroying it. And that doesn't matter if that's something that you're observing at a media outlet or if that's something that's being posted on social media. The fact is you and I are constantly exposed to bad news. And it churns up our insides. We're generally agitated at somebody all the time. Amen? Okay. I am generally agitated. <laughs> People are like, no, I'm... I'm... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just peaceful and good. I mean, we thought it was hard enough to just deal with life, but that we could have vicarious trauma, that we could experience the trauma of others and take it in mentally, emotionally, and experience depression and anxiety, not because of what's happening to us, but because of what happened to someone else. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So that we're seeing levels of anxiety and depression in our culture that are higher than we have ever seen in the time we've been keeping track of such things. That study was done in 2015. A Boston University study recently released says that we can now begin to extrapolate the data from what has happened to us through the pandemic. And what we see is a conservative estimate is that mental illness in this country has tripled in its frequency. From 2015, when we were talking about vicarious trauma and how we were living this sort of reality of everyone else's hurt and pain, even though it wasn't necessarily happening to us, to a threefold increase in depression and anxiety. That's a big deal. That's a lot of 
darkness in which to traffic. And I don't want to get all bogged down here. Obviously, we're going somewhere with this conversation. But I do think this. You and I pay a great deal of attention to our physical well-being. Amen? I'm guessing that some of you this morning got up and you went to a cabinet in your kitchen and for a few moments you looked like a mad scientist because you had little containers of stuff and supplements and you were putting them into some and you mixed it together and you made some kind of a shake that was a color that human beings should not consume. <laughs> Amen? Have you seen people walking around drinking one of these shakes? Brown, purple, colors that do not occur in nature in any form or fashion? Because why? Because we're taking care of our bodies. We're going to exercise. We're going to, I'm going on. A, I'm eating clean for 30 days. I'm doing a juice cleanse. I'm taking care of my body. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going on walks. I'm doing... I'm just saying maybe it would be a good time if we went on a mental diet. Maybe we need to do like a, a detox for our brains. Because I'm not sure our mental health is thriving. And then to stop for a moment and to say, you know, in the middle of all of that, there is a really simple thing that Jesus is advocating for that is at the core of the gospel. And that simple thing is simply this. You are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. All of this depression and anxiety is going somewhere. In fact, what we're told now by psychologists is that the result of this is that people are asking more existential questions than ever before. Meaning, existential questions being, what does it mean to exist? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? Why am I here? They're asking big questions. And you may think that's new. It's being asked in much more abundance and much more frequently, but it's not really new. Back in 1969, Peggy Lee released a song that is a song that asks this great existential question. Is that all there is? How many of you remember that great song? Older people help the younger people. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Then let's keep dancing. You know the words? Let's break out the booze. And have a ball, if that's all there is. It's kind of fitting that that was 1969. We'd had a decade of throwing off all of the restraints of culture. <laughs> had a decade of sort of self-indulgence and drugs and all kinds of things. It's kind of fitting at the end of that decade that somebody would put out a song, is that all there is? Is that all there is? That's an existential question. Is that all there is? And the sadness and the darkness that engulfs our world is especially prevalent in young people. That was, we've talked about a number of times, and I, I use this quote often. Uh, C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man says that older people are filling younger people with a cold vulgarity about life. We're filling them with a kind of cynicism about life and love and marriage and relationships because we don't talk nice. Politics, freedom, we don't talk nice. And we're filling a generation and generations coming behind us with a cold vulgarity about life. Is that all there is? Why am I here? What's the point? Into that void comes this message of the gospel. 
And how do you battle darkness? You battle it with light. Matthew 5.13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus had a very simple message. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Is that true of us? Is that descriptive of us? The prophets were anticipating, Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So that the gospel was anticipating this coming of light into the world. The prophets were looking forward to this moment in which light entered the world. We talked a couple of weeks ago about within the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even the bad news is encased in good news. The biblical narrative is such that it says that no matter what happens to us, still, in those things, God works for the good. Don't misquote the verse. It doesn't say, in all things, God works for the good. That is not what the verse says. No, let me rephrase that. It doesn't say, all things are good. All things work together for good. That's what we quote. It says, in all things, God works for the good. Not all things are good. But in those things, God works for the good. Even death And this becomes a theme in the New Testament. Death is the ultimate fear of helplessness in human beings. What are you going to do about death? It's appointed to each person to die once. Hopefully just once. But if Christ overcame death, our greatest fear, then we we can back into not being afraid of everything else. So that even the death of Christ becomes encased in good news. That there is this message that says even the bad news is encased in good news. It's gospel. The the news that Jesus brought was so good, they coined the phrase gospel. It's good news. It's, It's good news. You and I have good news. Do we act like that? Do we talk like that? My experience with human beings is not that our conversations and attitudes evolve. It it is that our conversations and attitudes devolve. I mean, if there's not a force in a conversation pushing for light and good, very seldom will the conversation go better. It will almost always deteriorate and go worse. That's kind of true about human behavior, too, isn't it? Like if you put us all together, we all get better and better and better in our behavior and choices. So that along comes Jesus to simplify the gospel in such a way so that you and I could understand. You are the salt of the earth. 
You are the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and look up. They, they look up. They no longer are looking down. They look up. They look up to the fact. Is that all there is? No, there's more. <laughs> and because we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world and the doer of good deeds, around us people look up. They're like, oh, there's more. I don't have to live in hopelessness. I don't have to live down here at street level where I feel anxiety and depression and overwhelmed and darkness. I can look up. There's more. There is a mystery. There is something more powerful. There's something bigger. They look up and they give praise to your Father in heaven. Let's simplify it even more. Jesus is simply saying, the world hurts. Help them. The world hurts. Help them. Well, I'm better at criticizing the world than I am at helping them. Can I get an amen? Let's be more specific. People hurt. Help them. Our children hurt. Help them. Our friends hurt. Help them. Our community hurts. Help them. Our city hurts. Help them. Our country hurts. Help it. And generally, I don't know about you, but I don't feel it's terribly helpful to tear things down. Boy, I'm alone today. To take this seriously won't cost us nearly as much as the supplements we buy to help our physical health. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Maybe a steady diet of the Word of God. Even the, even the steady diet of gathering in this way and partaking of worship together, whether it's online, whether it's in the room, I shared this statistic with you last week. The average, you know, consistent churchgoer in 2022 attends church two hours a week. Two hours. Sometimes I laugh. The staff, you know, they man, we do these multiple services. We just go all day. <laughs> oh, no, you do not. We used to go to church all day. I mean, we did used to go to church all day long and I don't mean to say it was better but it was longer I mean you got to church at 8.30 in the morning and there was a service before Sunday school opening exercises opening exercises everybody in the sanctuary if it was your birthday you got to give an offering what a messed up world it was Whose birthday? Come and give your birthday offering. No, I want, I want stuff. I don't want to give stuff. That's messed up. And after the pre-service, you marched off to Sunday school. They played music, and you had a postlude, and you walked at postlude. That's where they played music at the end, and people walk out of the room. And you went to Sunday school for one hour. You've already been at church two hours, and you haven't even gotten to church yet. I just want to show a hands to confirm. I'm not making this up, am I? See that? People know. And then you did Sunday school for an hour with a gifted, gifted teacher. Always wonderful. Yeah, some people were. And then you went to church. 
And they didn't do those 45-minute services either. They were an hour and a half long. I got, as a child, I developed deep, deep sleep and rest. <laughs> Man, is there any better? You could sleep on a hard wooden bench in church. The sleep of death. I mean, just <laughs> out. Then you went home and you took a nap because you were coming back. Your day was not done. <laughs> Four o'clock choir practice. 5.30 youth group, 6.30 church, and we were going to go an hour and a half on Sunday night, and if you were lucky, you got invited to somebody's house to go some. You stumbled back into your house at 11 p.m. after eight hours of church. The average person in America today attends church two hours a week, two hours a month. In the same time, we're exposed to 150,000 ads. 150,000 messages about life, most of which are what you lack and what you need, creating some sense of angst in us and desire for something that we lack. It's different. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Maybe it's time for us to give ourselves a steady diet where we go, you know what, I'm going to not do that. I'm going to, I'm going to detox from media and social media. I'll read the posts that are about food and grandchildren and children and funny stuff, but I'm not reading any more rants. Amen? Because it's creating vicarious trauma inside me. I'm suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome. And my mental health isn't good. And I'm going to feed myself on the Word of God because it promises to be soul-shaping are you? Are you light? Are you salt? I don't mean philosophically, are you? I mean, would the people with whom you live say, this person is salt. This person adds flavor to life. This person brings light to darkness. This person is an intentional doer of good deeds in my life and in my story. When I am around them, I feel changed. I feel transformed. And if you think this is oversimplifying, listen to this, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what's helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Philippians 4.4, 4. rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God. that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent or praiseworthy, think about such Things, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. First Thessalonians 5:14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will concerning you. Why are we here? We are here to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
to be refueled and re-empowered and refocused because what happens to us in our daily life takes from us. It, it extracts some of our energy and our optimism and our hopefulness. And so we come together as the body of Christ to, to remember again that this is the core of the gospel. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. Won't let Satan blow it out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Is that descriptive of who we are? Not in our own minds, but in actual reality with the people with whom we're walking the world, walking the life, with whom we are sharing this journey. Would they look at us and go, you know what I find when I'm around you? Salt, light, do our good deeds. I feel better. I feel calmer. I feel together. I feel lifted. I feel changed. Don't know how to describe it. Don't know what happens. It's not so much what you say. It's not so much that you made a big... It's not, it's not that you flattered me. Or, but something happens in the heart of community and relationship in which the darkness is pushed back and the light shines. Let's talk for a minute about those things. You are the salt of the earth. Point number one. Salt's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Okay. I love salt. I do. I do. I mean, I think once in my life I said, this is too salty. I think once, maybe twice. More often my comment is, you know what these french fries need. I don't know who was salting french fries at McDonald's today, but they should have loosened up a little bit. Salt, you know, salt, the root word of salt is we get the word salary because the very first, you know, exchange of currency was salt. People got paid in salt, so you got a salary. You got, you got a chunk of salt. That's good. And this is my favorite. The root word of salad is salt. <laughs> I ain't making that up. Salad. You ever wonder why they call it salad? You know, how did a bunch of lettuce and vegetables in a bowl get to be called Salad. Well, it was the addition of sal, the root word, salt, into vegetables that were raw that made them salad. So please don't tell me not to salt my salad because it's not salad until I salt it. <laughs> and isn't that a testimony to the power of salt? It even makes salad better. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And salt in a chocolate chip cookie is a beautiful thing. But it is not the same thing as salt on popcorn, which is also a beautiful thing. You are the salt of the earth. You balance out the palate of the world. You work between the sweet and the savory. You're as flavorful and balancing in rejoicing as you are in mourning. The salt of the earth doesn't mean that we ignore the authenticity of what people go through. No. We come beside the joy and we enhance the flavor. We come beside the mourning and we enhance the experience of grief because we love and walk with people in a flavoring way. And the flavor in sweet times is not the same as the flavor in hard times. What flavor are we 
leaving in our journey in our life. Why are we here? We are here to be. What if Jesus was serious? <laughs> You're the salt of the earth. It's, life should be more savory and taste better because we are in it. Because we are engaging with people in relationship in such a way, when they walk away, they go, wow, I don't know what just happened, but it was better. It was just better. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was better. It was better. You're the salt of the earth. William Barclay writes these words, the tragedy is that so often people have connected Christianity with precisely the opposite. They've connected Christianity with that which takes the flavor out of life instead of adding to it. People are like, you know, why are young people having a crisis of faith? Well, this is part of it. Because they look at Christianity and go, that's not a group of people I necessarily want to hang out with. They're not the best adjusted folks I know. Amen? And they watch. Because at some level, there's a practical application of stuff. You say a lot of things about life and faith and hope and joy, but I'm not seeing any of it. I see anxiety and fear, criticism, depression. I see you filling my world with a cold vulgarity about life instead of an optimism and a joy that this is my father's world. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You dispel darkness. <laughs> you, 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 in the way in which you present life and do relationship, are able to illuminate obstacles so that they don't seem menacing and fearful. All of the things, all the, you know, we, we take light for granted. Amen? I mean, in fact, isn't it funny? He's like, I got to get away from the city so I can see the stars. Because you can't see the stars because there's so much ambient light in a city. Have you flown on an airplane lately? I mean, you, you don't get to go very far where you don't look down and go, hey, light. But in the ancient world, light was a precious commodity. I mean, you know, the streetlights didn't burn at night. Some, you ought to visit sometimes some of these third world places that don't have streetlights and ambient light at night. And then you go, you know what? It turns out when the sun goes down, it's dark. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew that it actually got dark? I don't know how bright your house is when the lights are all off inside. Because the lights are all on outside. Yeah, it's like daylight. You've got to get light darkening shades because I can't keep the light out of my house. It's just everywhere. But in the ancient world, darkness was a real thing. You couldn't see to get around. You couldn't have life. You couldn't do stuff. You want to have a party? Well, we have to do it before sundown because there's not going to be enough light in this house to have a party. We can't celebrate. We can't be creative. We, can't, we better eat our meals. We better do. Everything has to happen either in this very confined space where the light is. And Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You bring light. People see more clearly. They're free to celebrate. They're free to participate. They're free to be creative because we're around, because that's who we are, because we're connected to the good news. 
So the salt dwells in us and the light dwells in us. Before it can get out of us, it has to get into us. We have to have a different perspective. We may have to go on a diet. We may have to cleanse our brains a little bit. We have to go to say, you know what? I'm not dwelling on that stuff because I'm suffering vicarious trauma. I'm going to have to feed my brain on something else. I have to get some supplements for my mind. <laughs> it doesn't have to be complicated. You are the doer of good deeds. I love that it comes down to this. Unless... Your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. You will, not, you will not participate in the kingdom of heaven. So there's a difference between being good and doing good. Christianity, for the most part, in our world has been focused on being good. We come to church and learn how to be good. What did you learn today about being good at church? Well, I shouldn't have a bad attitude. and I shouldn't say this and I shouldn't say that. Jesus said, listen, the Pharisees know how to be good, but they don't know how to do good. And unless your righteousness exceeds the being good part and you get into the doing good part, Jesus said it even more simply, you can know a tree bites fruit. Now most of us, and I'm done, I mean there's seven more points from Sky Jathani's book that I thought I might highlight one or two, but this is what I'm going to say. You should read the book. This section's especially good. It's really Ooh. You and I are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and the doer of good. Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. Most of us are spending our life perpetuating our own existence. In a few weeks, I'm going to highlight a study that I just came across, but I'll tell you. You'll have to just be patient when you hear it again in a few weeks. The study found that the way to help people through their depression and anxiety is not to offer them help. By the way, this study was posted in the New York Times, just so you kind of get a sense of it's not coming from a you know, conservative spiritual background. It's just from a social science perspective that says you cannot help people out of their depression and their isolation and their loneliness by offering them help. You can bring them out by asking them for help. The people are wired to do something worthwhile in their actual life. It makes them feel worthwhile. It drives and pushes the darkness back. So Jesus says, you are the doers of good deed. With intentionality, with, with premeditation, you look at people and you think about what they might need and you offer good deeds. And the good deeds are such that they don't call attention to us. People don't go, that's such a nice person. Instead, they go, Man, there must be hope in the world. There must be reason to look up. There must be more. This is not all there is. And that's who we are. Why are we here? We are here to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. To be equipped and empowered to go out from this place and to push back the darkness. It's not that the world is full of hopelessness. There is so much beauty and good in the world. But someone has to call it out. Someone has to speak it, someone has to live it, someone has to believe it. And we, of all people, have the gospel deep inside our hearts and minds and spirits. We are optimistic, not positive thinking optimistic, biblically optimistic. 
We know how the story ends. It turns out God wins. God wins. Am I worried about today? Yeah, sometimes. Is that the story? No. No. Here's a whole book full of stories about all kinds of things that happen. A lot of them are terrible. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Only one kingdom continues to rise. The kingdom of God. And we're a part of it. We're a part of it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the doers of good deeds. God, help us to be those people. To be that church. There's so many things we desire to do and be and accomplish in our world. But the simplicity of the gospel is that right at the heart of it is this invitation. To flavor life. To enhance it. To make it better. It seems to me that we ought to be the kind of people that when somebody's making a list of folks they would like to spend time with, folks that they'd like to plan an event around, that, that we're the very people that say, got to have those people there. They just make it better. It's just, it's just more flavorful. It's more fun. It's more engaging. It's more authentic. It's more real. It's more genuine. I, I feel better. We're the light. I pray that moment by moment, encounter by encounter, conversation by conversation, that we are bringing light. We're illuminating darkness. We're lifting spirits. We're we're inspiring creativity. We're inspiring hopefulness. And we're the doer of good deeds. We don't just worry about being good. We think about doing good. So I pray. That as we respond to your word, as we sing these biblically centered core theology words, that you'd challenge us. Whether we're watching online, whether we're here in the room, whether we're watching later in the week, whatever the circumstance, Lord, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Stand, let's respond. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.